Hey, welcome to Renaissance. My name is Clay, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I would love if you have a few minutes after the service, I usually hang it up front. Come on up and say hi. I'd love to just spend a couple minutes getting to know you a little bit better and, uh, yeah, find out a little bit more about you, tell you a bit more about Renaissance, and answer any questions uh, that you may have. So over the years, I have uh, talked with hundreds of people about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to live life as a follower of Jesus. And I've asked different people what they think about it. And the answers are as varied as the people to whom you talk. And so some people focus on behavior. For them, uh, living a Christian life means behaving as Jesus would behave, especially focusing on loving other people. Other people kind of take a different approach and they focus on beliefs. They would say that right beliefs lead to right living, and the bottom line of living as a Christian is living by faith, having faith in Jesus Christ, especially in his death for our sins and in his resurrection, and how that kind of works itself out uh, in, in our lives. Other people take a different approach, and they talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus, knowing Jesus personally, not just intellectually, but having a relationship with him, and they talk about how that makes a difference in their lives kind of moment by moment. Other people pick up on some imagery that's used in the New Testament. They talk about walking with God. You know, we would, my wife and I, Anne, Anne and I love to take walks together uh, in the afternoons and in the evenings as it, gets, as it gets warmer out. And some people think of their relationship with God as a walk. So they are walking with God, they're talking with him, they are having fellowship with him in that way. So there's all sorts of different ways uh, that people speak about their relationship with God and what it means to live as a Christian. And when you look through the New Testament, there are probably a dozen or more different descriptions and different analogies, different examples, different groups of words that are used to talk about what it means to live our lives as a Christian. And all of the things that I talked about there, all of those are true. And when you put all of them together, you begin to get more of a picture of what it means to live the Christian life. And one of the advantages of us having all of those different analogies and different examples and different uh, descriptions is that it gives us a much fuller picture of what it means to live life as a Christian than if we had only one or two or three of them. And what I want us to do this morning is look at what I would say is probably the, the most unusual analogy that's used in the Bible when it talks about living life as a Christian. It's unusual, it might even be a, a little bit um, controversial because typically the descriptions we find in the Bible and the things that we talk about are things like beliefs, behaviors, relationship, those sorts of things. This one is completely different. In this particular case, the Apostle Paul compares the Christian life to being drunk. And that's not something that you would normally expect to hear about on a Sunday morning in church. But Paul does talk about it in that way. In a letter to Christians in the ancient city of Ephesus, Paul says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, I want to make a little disclaimer up front. I don't think Paul's main focus is speaking out against the evils of alcohol. I don't think he's saying we shouldn't drink. I don't think he's saying it's wrong for people to drink alcoholic beverages. 
I think he's saying, yes, we shouldn't get drunk, we shouldn't drink so much that we lose control, that we start behaving in ways that are inappropriate. And he is absolutely saying that. But I don't even think that that's the major focus of what he's trying to do here. Instead, what I think he's trying to do is take a familiar concept, something that we as adults are familiar with either from personal experience or from observing other people. We're familiar with what it means to be drunk, to be living under the influence of alcohol. And Paul's taking that and he's saying there are some similarities and there are some distinct differences with this concept that he calls being filled with the Spirit, which is actually one way in which Paul describes living the Christian life. So he's taking this familiar concept and he's using it to help us to understand this unfamiliar concept. If you've ever read books about living the Christian life and someone's writing and talking about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, they often say, Paul never really explains what does that mean. And for a long time, I thought, yeah, that's actually true. Paul doesn't actually explain what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in some sense, I would say that is true because there's not a, a verse or a chapter or a paragraph, a section in the Bible where he says, this is exactly what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But in another sense, I think he absolutely does explain what it means. And he does that by using this analogy, by using this comparison and this contrast with being drunk. So we could loosely paraphrase what Paul is saying as, don't be filled with the spirits, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because there's this, you know, we talk about alcohol as spirits. And so that pun, I don't know exactly where the idea of alcohol being referred to as spirits comes from, but it works in some sense when you say, on the one hand, we should not be filled with alcohol, the spirits, but we should be filled with the Holy Spirit. We shouldn't live under the influence of a substance like alcohol, and we could use painkillers or anything else that we might want to use over here. Paul's using wine in this particular case. He says, instead, we need to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, if you've ever read through the book of Acts, it's, it's a book that uh, uh, one of Jesus' followers named Luke wrote about how God worked through the early followers of Jesus to spread the church, to spread the message of Christianity throughout the known world. And in one of the early chapters, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit empowers the believers in Jesus. He empowers Jesus' followers to do some amazing things. And they're filled with joy. They're filled with happiness. They actually speak in languages that they don't know. They testify to other people they witness to other people. They share the message about Jesus to other people in languages that they themselves didn't originally know. It's a miracle that God brings upon them through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what's interesting is the people who are observing this look at them and they say, these guys are drunk because they see the behavior that they're exhibiting and they're saying, that looks like someone who's under the influence of alcohol. But the Apostle Peter, who's one of the other leaders of the early church, looks and he says, no, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. These people aren't drunk. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the work of God in their lives. And yeah, there's a similarity to being under the influence of alcohol, but it's very, very different. And so Paul isn't the only one who uses this analogy, who uses this example to explain the idea of being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So with that in mind, 
let's take a look at some of the similarities and some of the differences between being under the influence of alcohol and being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And again, we're going to talk about some of the negatives about being under the influence of alcohol, but my focus is not a diatribe against drinking. My focus is the same focus that Paul was having, trying to understand and explain what it means to live the Christian life being filled, being influenced, being controlled by, being yielded to, being empowered by God's Holy Spirit. So, some people turn to alcohol in order to try to cope with the challenges of living in a broken world. We live in a world where people hurt us, they betray us, they deceive us, relationships get broken. We live in a world where we might lose our jobs, where we or a loved one might get sick, where somebody who's so important to us ends up dying. We end up in a world where things don't go the way that we would want them to go. They don't go the way that we know that God would want them to go. And so some people turn to alcohol in order to cope with the realities, with the difficulties, with the pain, with the challenges of living in a broken world. And Paul actually mentions this in the verses immediately preceding the one that we just looked at. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. What Paul is saying, we live in evil days. We live in a broken world. There's pain, there's suffering, there's problems, there's heartache, there are difficulties. And he says, but live wisely. Don't live foolishly. Respond the right way to it. Don't respond the wrong way to it. Some people respond by turning to alcohol or other substances. Again, Paul's focus here is alcohol, but we really could talk about any other uh, substitute for God that we turn to to cope with the pain and the difficulties and the challenges of living in a broken world. And Paul's point is, don't be foolish. Don't turn to something else. Turn to God. Yeah, the world is evil. Yeah, the world is broken. Yes, the world is painful. Yes, there is suffering. But the solution is not found in a bottle. The solution is found in Jesus Christ. The solution is found in a right relationship with God through the Spirit of God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so Paul continues by saying, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And his point is, self-medicating with alcohol is comparatively foolish when we set it up against turning to God and looking to Him to meet our needs. I mean, think about this, think about it this way. Alcohol absolutely does numb the pain for a while. The relief is only temporary. And when it wears off, our circumstances are often worse than it was than they were beforehand because of the things that we've done when we were under the influence, when we were under the control of alcohol. But by contrast, if we turn to God in the midst of our pain, if we turn to the one who sent his son, if we turn to Jesus who's been through the same pain, the same suffering, the same difficulties that we've been through, who understands it, who felt the full weight of it, and who loves us more than anyone could ever love us, we can actually find real comfort, ongoing comfort, not just temporary relief, but real ability to cope with the difficulties. And we end up feeling better off than when we started, and there's no hangover. 
So why would we want to turn to al- yeah, right? Why would we want to turn to alcohol rather than the Holy Spirit? Paul's saying, don't live foolishly. There's nothing wrong with drinking, but if you if you look to alcohol to solve your problems, you're going to be disappointed. Instead, turn to the Holy Spirit. Alcohol helps us to escape from the difficulties of life. Jesus empowers us to thrive in the midst of those difficulties. He sometimes changes our circumstances. He doesn't always change our circumstances, but he's always with us. He always comforts us. He always enables us to thrive in the midst of those difficulties. Think about reality. Alcohol distorts reality. It deceives us. The Holy Spirit clarifies reality. He helps us to see life as it actually is. He gives us truth and he gives us the power to deal with it. Alcohol masks our symptoms, painkillers, whatever it might be, masks our symptoms. The Holy Spirit addresses the root causes of our problems. Too much alcohol can make us sick. You can't get too much of Jesus. You can't get too much of the Holy Spirit. So when you compare and contrast these things, yeah, there's, there's a similarity in terms of living under the influence of alcohol and how it affects our outlook on life and how it affects our behavior. Same thing is true in terms of the Holy Spirit, living under the influence of the Holy Spirit, how it affects our outlook, how it affects our beliefs, how it affects our worldview, how it affects the way in which we live our lives. But those are the similarities and the differences are so stark. And what Paul is saying is it's foolish to look to alcohol to do something that only the Spirit of God can do. Alcohol was never designed to actually solve our problems. The Holy Spirit points us to the one who absolutely can and has solved our problems if we're looking to him by faith. Other people look to alcohol not so much to solve their problems, but just just, just to have fun. It's, It's something we do socially. We hang out with people and part of that the culture is to spend some time drinking. And people enjoy it because it's relaxing. It removes inhibitions. It helps us to to feel better about ourselves. But the problem is, alcohol promises a whole lot more than it delivers. I ran across this note that somebody wrote after an evening with some friends. He said, dear wine, I thought we had a deal. You're supposed to make me funnier, better looking, and a great dancer. Then I saw the video. We got to talk, you know? No one's ever written a letter like that to God. God always promises what he delivers. Alcohol does not. It promises a whole lot more than it can deliver. Why? Because it was never designed to deliver what we so often look to it to deliver. Take a look here for a minute in in the verses that follow what we just read about how Paul describes what people are like when they're living under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He starts out, he says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now watch this. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about it for a second. People who are under the influence of alcohol talk a lot. They run off at the mouth. They sing. They dance, and on the surface, it looks a whole lot like being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But the songs that they sing, the things that they say, the dances that they do, we can't really talk about those most of the time in church, you know? Why? Because alcohol was not designed to bring us true joy, 
to bring us ultimate happiness, to bring us ultimate satisfaction and comfort. That's the role of God. That's the role of the Spirit of God. And we will look to alcohol to do what only the Spirit of God can do. We're using an inferior substitute and we end up regretting it. But when we're looking to the Holy Spirit to meet our needs, to point us ultimately to the one who has met our needs, to our Lord Jesus Christ. That's when we have the deepest seated joy, the real comfort, the real peace, the real satisfaction, something that alcohol or anything else can't bring to us. Being under the influence of alcohol affects our behavior and it's usually in a negative way. Being under the influence of the Holy Spirit always affects our behavior, and it always does so in a positive way. And Paul talks about this in another one of his letters. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Who wouldn't want to be with someone who lives like that? Against such things, there is no law. He's saying it is universally understood and accepted that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are characteristics that we desire both in ourselves and in other people. And when we're living under the influence of the Holy Spirit, Paul says the fruit of that, of living under the influence of the Holy Spirit, is these kinds of behaviors, is these kinds of attitudes, is this kind of lifestyle. Everybody is attracted to that. Most people are absolutely not attracted to the behavior that's induced by alcohol unless they are at the moment under the influence of alcohol. So when you ask the question, which would you rather be influenced by, alcohol or the Holy Spirit? Paul's saying the answer is obvious. If we're followers of Jesus, even if we're not followers of Jesus, if you just compare and contrast the two, which one would you rather be influenced by, alcohol or the Holy Spirit? The answer is obviously the Holy Spirit. So he says, make the wise choice. Choose to allow yourself to be influenced by the Holy Spirit rather than anyone or anything else that can't deliver what it promises. So how do we live under the influence of the Holy Spirit? It begins by making a choice. In some sense, there's a similarity to living under the influence of alcohol. Unless somebody spikes your drink, you make a conscious choice to drink the wine or the beer or the, you know, whiskey or, or, or whatever it may be. In the same way, we make a conscious choice to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Last year, we went through the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, etc. Third line, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus taught his followers to pray, one of the things he said that they should pray, and not just recite, but actually mean, looking to God and saying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will is done, Lord, in heaven 
I want it to be done here on earth. I want it to be done here in my life. I choose to submit my will to yours. I choose to surrender my agenda to yours. I choose to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I want to follow your agenda. I want your priorities to be my priorities. I want your mission of telling the world about Jesus Christ and what he's done and the reconciliation that we can have with our creator because of Jesus' death and his resurrection. I want your mission to be my mission. Pastor down in North Carolina, we talked about him last week, a guy named J.D. Greer puts it this way. He says, you will never be full of the spirit so long as you're full of yourself. I love that. And you know what? I am so often full of myself. And you guys, I know a lot of you, are absolutely <laughs> full of yourselves. That's the way we are. And what we need to do is make the choice to say to God, yeah, you know what? I am full of myself and that's wrong. And I'm in a lot worse shape when I'm full of myself than when I'm full of you. So would you fill me with your spirit? Would you help me, empower me, give me the desire to subordinate my will, my desires, my agenda, my mission to yours? Because when we do that, when we choose to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he empowers us to do what we've been talking about really since the beginning of January, and that is live as his witnesses in the world. He called us to be his witnesses to tell other people about who Jesus is and what he's done, and through that, to change the world. And so when we choose to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God works in us to empower us to carry out the mission of God that he's given for us to do. And he also produces the fruit of the Spirit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So what we're saying is we make the choice to look to God and say, I want that. I want you. I want to live under your influence. I don't want to be full of myself. I want to be full of you and I want you to change me from the inside out. And as you change me, I want you to use me to change the world around me. When we do that, the Holy Spirit transforms us so that we become more like Jesus. And that's the goal, that we would become like Jesus, that people would be attracted to him because they see him in us. And one of the key ways in which the Holy Spirit transforms us is through the Bible, through Scripture, through the Word of God, through the message about Jesus. We've been looking at this letter uh, to, to Christians in the city of Ephesus. There's a, what uh, scholars refer to as a sister letter, a very similar letter that Paul wrote to Christians in another city called Colossae. And in that, he uses some very similar wording. He says something very similar to this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit, but he uses a slightly different analogy, different explanation, and it helps us to get a broader picture of what he's talking about. He says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. The second part of that verse sounds exactly like what we read in the book of Ephesians. 
But the first part's different. In Ephesians, he says, be filled with the Spirit, and then you're going to do these things. Sing, praise, talk to people about Jesus, etc. Here he says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. What he's doing is he's saying the person who is filled with the Spirit of God, the person who is under the influence of the Holy Spirit is going to be a person whose heart, whose mind, whose life is saturated with the message about Jesus, a person who actually knows Jesus and whose life is oriented around him. And when you think about it, that makes sense because the role of the Holy Spirit, or at least one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to be a floodlight to illuminate Jesus, to show us who Jesus is, what he looks like, what he's done, so that we can be attracted to him, so that we can be drawn to him, so that we can be transformed by him. And if you missed that message from a couple of weeks ago, take a look on our website. All of our messages, all of our weekly messages are available on the website. So if you're ever on vacation or away, whatever reason you're not here, you can take the time and, and, and watch those messages. If you want to exhibit the character of Jesus, you need to focus on him. You need to think about him. You need to reflect on who he is, excuse me, and what he's done. And that's part of what happens in our lives when we live under the, the influence of the Holy Spirit. And so with that in mind, Paul talks about letting the message of Christ dwell among us richly. How do we do that? What does that look like? One great way to do that is to spend some time reading the biographies of Jesus. We know them as the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first four books of the New Testament. I want to encourage you, grab a Bible, open up your smartphone, your Bible app on your smartphone, and take some time every day to read maybe even just a chapter in one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And some of you have read these hundreds of times. Others of you have never cracked open a Bible before. Wherever you are in, in, in your spiritual journey, take some time to begin to read through the Gospels, but read through them asking yourself, what do I see about who Jesus is? What is he like? Is he the kind of person who I'd like to spend time with? Is he the kind of person who I'd like to emulate in my own life? What is it about Jesus that drew people from all walks of life to him? Why was he so attractive? And then think about his teaching. What would it be like? What would my life be like if I actually lived as if what Jesus taught were true? Just take that time few minutes every day, and then throughout the day, meditate on that, reflect on that, think on that, chew it over in your mind. What Paul is saying is, let the word about Jesus, let the message about Christ dwell richly among you. As we do that, we will more and more and more be living under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Living under the influence of the Holy Spirit's a process. It's not like a one-shot deal, you know, where in a crisis moment or a mountaintop type experience, we say, Holy Spirit, I want to live under your influence. Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. Father, I want to give you my entire life and subordinate my agenda to you. That can be true. We can have that 
event type of experience, and many of us have. Some of us haven't, but many of us have. But there's a whole lot more to it than that. It's a process. It's that moment-by-moment, day-by-day decision to subordinate my will to his, to put his agenda first, to put his desires above mine, to look to him to meet my needs, to say in the midst of the pain of living in this broken world, Lord, I need you. You are the only one who can meet my deepest needs. I want to live under your influence. And we have to do that over and over and over again. It's not a one-time event. It's an ongoing process. And so the question that all of us, wherever we are in our spiritual journey, need to ask ourselves is, am I choosing to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit? Am I choosing to live under the influence of the Spirit of God? Not have I chosen to, but am I right now choosing to live under the influence of the Spirit of God? And if the answer is no, maybe it's no because you have never chosen to do so. Or maybe it's no because in the past you've chosen to do so, but for whatever reason, right now you're not choosing to do so. If that's the case for you, then start by just saying, Lord, give me the desire to live under your influence. Because sometimes I don't. Sometimes I actually want to run away from you. Sometimes I don't like your agenda. I'm full of myself and I want my agenda instead of yours. But give me the desire to want to live under your influence. Because that's a prayer he definitely wants to answer. And then when you're ready, when you're like, when you have that desire, then turn to him and start by just saying, forgive me. Forgive me for trying to be my own God. Forgive me for trying to live life my way without regard to you, even if it's only been for a few minutes, even if it's only been for a few days. Maybe it's been for a lifetime, however long it's been. Lord, forgive me because of what Jesus did, because of his death, because of his resurrection. And then, Lord, give me an increasing desire to know you and to live my life for your glory. And then, Lord, empower me. Give me the power to do what it is that you've called me to do. Give me the power to love the people around me. Give me the desire to share the message about Jesus with my friends and with my family and with my coworkers. And transform me to make me more and more like my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ. And then just step back and watch him work in your life to develop in you the character of Jesus and to empower you to carry out the mission that he has given all of us who are followers of Jesus. The mission is to tell others of the incredible love and grace and forgiveness that's available to us when we're trusting in Jesus Christ. In a minute, I'm going to pray for us, and the band is going to come back up, and uh, we're going to sing a final song. And as we do, sing it as a prayer. Ask God to work in your heart, to turn your heart to him, to give you a desire to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray, and then we'll sing together. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you work in each of us to point us to Jesus Christ. And I pray for myself, pray for all of us, that you would give give us an increasing desire to live our lives under your influence, 
Show us Jesus. Show us his beauty. Show us his grace. Show us his glory. Show us his love. Show us his forgiveness. And as we see who he is, may we be drawn to him. May our desires increasingly be in line with your desires. And I pray that as that happens, that you would transform us to be more and more like Jesus Christ and that you would empower us to live the lives that you've called us to live and to carry out the mission that you've given to us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.